This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hey, Brewer fans, welcome back to another episode of Brewers Unfiltered. We're at episode seven. So if you're going back and listening, you have a full week worth of Brewers talk to get you through any uh, long period where you need a little distraction. I'm joined by the legendary Tim Dillard. Oh, I thought you were going to say me. (laughs) By Adam McAlvey. MLB.com's greatest writer of all time. <laughs> See, <laughs> I tried to put you on similar pedestals. You know, yes. I'm not trying to separate it too much. If you're not first okay. or last. And, you know, Bobby. Yeah. Tim, how long uh, was your pro career? How many pro seasons did you pitch? Parts of 18. 18. Okay, I got you. I'm 22. Oh, well. Your, your career is old enough to drink. <laughs> Mine's, <laughs> mine can only vote and I guess buy tobacco. <laughs> uh, mine is in preschool. So, you know, the same, <laughs> very much there. the same. So we're on the road right now. Uh, Tim is actually back home in Nashville recording from his palatial estates. Meanwhile, Adam and I are actually in Cincinnati where the Brewers just lost the first of a three game series. But before we get to the tough stuff, because, you know, I know fans are dying to listen uh, to us talk about a three game losing streak. Let's talk about some good stuff, because for the second consecutive week, the Brewers had the NL Player of the Week after Rowdy Telez just went off. He's on pace for a career year, huge by any standards, particularly with his 312 isolated power. Is his production sustainable, or should fans kind of temper their expectations, Tim? Ooh, I get to go first. Introduction and on Rowdy Telez. Uh, I mean, we saw the guy's power last year. Right. I mean, he was an instant favorite uh, hitting clutch home runs. He just has a great swing and his plate discipline is really good. And if you look at becoming NL player of the week, what sticks out is the extra base hits four doubles to go along with the three home runs. That right there is production. And, you know, if he's going to hit a single, great. (laughs) But you want your your corner guys you know, your corner outfielders to hit for extra base hits. And that's what he's doing. So yeah, he's, he's playing the typical first base guy of power and um, he's doing as good as almost anybody in the league right now. You know, do we all recognize how close we came last week to seeing like one of the greatest games in the history of major league baseball, because Rowdy was like two feet from a second uh, grand slam and a 10 RBI game, which is like, I, I looked it up. We actually have a story. You can Google it on MLB.com of all the 10 plus RBI games in history. And it's a very short list. It's topped by Mark Whitten, who had 12 RBIs in his four homer games. So like that was a, the best RBI game in Brewers history, but it was like almost one of the greatest games for a hitter in major league history. And I don't know. It's again, it's one of those things. Sometimes I feel like we watch some of this stuff and we don't recognize that like some of it's never happened before. So that was uh 
that stood out to me. To me, it's like Rowdy splits. He hits lefties pretty well. Um, career 791 OPS against righties, 751 against lefties. So, you know, it he's better against righties. He has a lot more power against righties. But he's shown he can handle lefties. He's shown he can give you a good at bat against lefties. And what he talks about over and over, including yesterday when we talked about him about player of the week, is just opportunity. Like, GMs always say they want to make a trade that benefits both sides. And here's an example of the route with the Rowdy thing where, like, it totally benefited both sides. The Blue Jays got pitching pieces they wanted and Vlad Jr. at first base. And the Brewers got a, a guy for a position where they had an area of need with multiple years of control, and he's getting a chance to play. So, like, he talks over and over about how the faith that they're showing in him playing him every day is a huge factor in the production that he's putting up. Yeah, and Bowden Francis won the key pieces that went back to Toronto. I mean, only two-thirds of an inning, but he went scoreless. It seems like he's going to be used in relief for the Blue Jays in the future. We watched so. it, right? Were you in Were you in Pittsburgh, Brad, when that, that was on the TV in the clubhouse after a Brewers game? And everybody. Oh, no, I was not in Pittsburgh for uh, them watching that. I think it was the finale in Pittsburgh and it was on the, you know, one of the clubhouse TVs. So someone noticed. So they all stood around and watched and were deciding in that moment whether the Brewers or Blue Jays won the trade based <laughs> on what happened to Francis. But then I think they decided he gave up a leadoff double and then got out of it. So I think they decided they'd push the decision for at least one more outing before deciding who won the trade. So they're showing extreme patience in that category. With Rowdy, it's been one of those things where if you go back and you listen to the other episodes, we were all talking about how we are excited for his 2022 season for a multitude of reasons. From, you know, Adam talking to him and Rowdy saying, hey, you know, this is my job and I own the opportunity and I feel comfortable here to us just expecting his looking at his performance last year and saying like, hey, this seems sustainable. So you look at what the hopes were coming into the season. And I don't know if a 312 ISO is really something that can be sustained, but definitely we were expecting a pretty good Rowdy Telez coming into the season. And that's what we're getting is something that's in line with our expectations. Yeah, which makes you think it's sustainable. Like, I don't think he's going to be eight RBI games every day, but and, I, and player of the week awards, but a, a good level of production. He's playing a decent first base, um, you know, and a left-handed bat, which, which is good. You know, there's just, he brings a lot to the table and, and, you know, again, sometimes a a player needs somebody to believe in them. And I think that that's a huge part of what's happening with Rowdy. Yeah. That peace of mind as a player, when they go, Hey, this is yours. It's the same with the starting pitcher. It's like, Hey, this is your game. That's what you want. You get to prepare for it. It's real easy. We got a small sample size last year, but he was platooning over there at first base. So now it's like, hey, this is your job. Go for it. You're going to be in the lineup every day. It's so much easier to prepare. And it's really good on the on the mental side of stuff. It's really good to just be like, okay, this is my job. I get to go out there and perform. And if you look at Rowdy Telez, just he puts together great at bats. You know, I know he went 0 for 8 his last two games in Atlanta, but just his at bats scare pitchers now. He's on the map. They have to be careful with them more so than they thought in the past, which is one more thing for a pitcher, opposing pitcher to have to worry about. But I love how he thinks along. He has multiple hits on changeups down and away from righties that are out of the zone. 
So you're seeing a guy that not only doesn't mind blooping a single to left, which sparked that entire game where he had a gazillion RBIs, but which gets overlooked, overshadowed by a grand slam. I don't know how that happened, but uh, but that's what you're looking at. You're looking at a guy that's thinking along with a pitcher, and he has power, and that's super dangerous, and pitchers recognize I that. I got a uh, Klondike bar out of the, his Player of the Week award yesterday. Oh, yeah, you well. did. <laughs> he was on uh, MLB Network. If you didn't Network. see it, Colton Wong. Yeah. I mean, the video's on Brewer's Twitter, so you can okay, go watch good. it. So uh, Colton Wong runs over, brings him a Klondike bar after some uh, egging on from the Brewer's clubhouse. <laughs> it ends up being a pretty amusing part of his Player of the Week interview on MLB Network. And, you know, he comes over and he's like, I don't want this. And uh, it gets passed between a few people and ends up with Adam McAlvey. So Adam McAlvey had a famous Klondike bar. Yeah, I have no shame eating a Klondike bar that's been passed among multiple people. It was it was still wrapped. <laughs> Can't waste a <laughs> yeah. Klondike bar. I haven't bar. seen the video. No, no it was it was yeah. definitely eatable. Uh, or edible, There's no video of me say. eating it, Tim. It's just the video is rowdy getting oh, it. Okay. The, the video we, we spared. I did take a picture of I'm it. I'm glad you said the rapper was on. <laughs> Yeah, it was not unwrapped. It wasn't MLB Network featuring Adam eating the Klondike bar might have been the greatest MLB Network segment of all time. When we go to break and it's a Klondike bar ad, that's going to be amazing. <laughs> I ate a uh, George Webb burger on MLB Network once when the Brewers won 13 in a row, including what the first game or two games of the NLCS in 18. I brought in George Webb and we did a segment about the George Webb, you know, the predicting 13 in a row and Took a bite of a burger. Me and David Vassay from uh, Dodgers TV, we each had a little George Webb burger on the air, which is nice. Well, as we mentioned when we started talking about Rowdy, the Brewers had a player of the week before Rowdy Telez, and Adam did not get a Klondike bar out of this one. No, it was <laughs> shortstop Willie Adamas, who's hitting homers and drawing walks at a career rate right now. He currently leads all shortstops and homers, and he's top five in all of baseball. He's tied for first on the team with Rowdy. Adam, is his power for real? Yeah, and look, it he he's not hitting at the Trop anymore. For whatever reason, he was not comfortable at Tropicana Field, and that's not a great thing when that's your home ballpark. It's not a bad place to hit. I mean, a lot of guys love hitting there. It was just everybody's different, and Willie Adamas happened to be a guy that, that didn't see the ball well there. He didn't have the good, good vibe there, and... The results weren't coming. And when the Brewers made that trade, they talked about that a little bit. Um, Willie talked about it. His road numbers were much better. And he was thinking like, okay, I'm going to look at, for now, American Family Field as a road park and hope to have some success. And obviously everyone remembers last season and, and, you know, club MVP after not getting there till the middle of May. So it did happen. So I think, look, a change of scenery for him, a change of venue is what he needed. They knew the talent was there. He's been involved in a bunch of big trades and obviously was a coveted prospect. So he, the, they knew he was a good baseball player and, and that had a chance to hit for some power and gap to gap, um, you know, doubles power more than anything. And and it's it's come for him. So he's a he's just a big part of the energy of their team. And like you know, I know a lot of it is they go as Christian Yelich goes. Rowdy talked about that yesterday. Even with the back to back player of the weeks, he was talking about Yelich, how like he's hitting the ball hard every time basically right now. And Rowdy thinks that that's having a big impact on all the other guys in the lineup. But Willie's kind of the same. I think his energy is pretty big fuel for what the rest of the team does. Yeah. And I mean, we saw a pretty significant jump in power from him when he came to American family field last year, which Adam, you noted. I mean, I feel like if he would have played at AmFam all year, 
he's a 30 home run guy, or at least with the Brewers all year, I should say, because he got pretty close last year, all things considered, and the power jump was very noteworthy. So I, like you said, I do not consider this at all unsustainable. This just seems to be who Willie Adamas is, as long as he's not in a giant white balloon dome. <laughs> he can, you know, really hit the ball well, see the ball well outside of that moment. And Tim, he he's walking significantly more 78th percentile and walk rate this year across the league. What does his patience at the plate say to you? Well, that's just it. I was kind of looking through that. He is leading the team in walks. He's got 16 walks, I think, unless he walked last night. I didn't look that up. I think it's 16. Let's say that. But what's interesting is I look back at his pitches per plate appearance last season, and it was four. It was a four even. This year, it's a 3.95, which is basically the same in a lot of ways, but at the same time, he's seeing less pitches, but walking more. So what does that mean? So that led me down the next rabbit hole to figure out chase percentage. Is he chasing pitches with two strikes? And he is not. He is 8% better. And he's 14% better than the major league average. All that to say, he's going up there looking for a first pitch to hit because he bats 316 on first pitch. And then he's waiting the pitcher out. And what is happening? They are making mistakes with the breaking ball. He has five home runs on breaking balls versus right-handed pitchers in Major League Baseball. That's the best. So you start looking at it. Does he have slider bat speed? Well, maybe, but if you're not locating a good fastball, you got no shot because eventually you're going to go back to the breaking ball and he's going to hit it. And he's hitting pitches that are down in the zone. Where's a safe place to throw a slider? Down in the zone. And he's hitting that. So I think he's coming into his own. He knows what kind of player he is. He knows that he's a threat and he knows that the pitcher knows that. And that sounds like, you know, weird logic, but we know that they know that we know that they know, you know? Oh, exactly. Well <laughs> but there's said, something too. to that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a friend's episode. Well, he's also like emblematic of what they're doing as a club, because we talked about this, I think last week or the week before that they're just being more uh, selective as a group. And I think that's a big part of Rowdy's story as well. And it's certainly a big part of Willie Adamas, because I think whenever we talked a week ago, two weeks ago, the Brewers had the fourth best the fourth lowest chase rate in baseball. And as we sit here right now, the Brewers have the fourth lowest chase rate in baseball. So there's only, you know, the, the angels, Dodgers and D backs have been more, have been less likely to swing at pitches outside of the zone than the Brewers. And, th- and that's it. So, and that's not been the story for this Brewers offense for quite a while. It's been a often an aggressive, more free swinging kind of, group and they brought in Connor Dawson and Ozzie Timmons and, and Matt Erickson and they installed this system that they talk about and this process that they want to be stubborn about. And the results like weren't good early. They didn't score a lot early, but they felt like put that process in and then be stubborn about it and the results will come. And we look, we have to acknowledge they've, they've played the, the Pirates and Cubs and Reds a bunch. And that's a factor. You play the schedule you got. But they've stuck to this process, this being stubborn about discipline, and they felt results would come, and results came. So I think Willie Adamas has been kind of a leader of that. I I think it goes back to kind of the way it was with the Red Sox and the Yankees years ago. They would go get these, you know, older players. They had the oldest, you know, average age of a team in the 90s. And those are the guys that saw the most pitches per plate appearance. That's why their games lasted four hours, every single one of them, because these guys are going up there and they're waiting because if they can't do damage on the pitch, they would spit on it, metaphorically speaking. And they would just be like, I'm not going to do anything with that. I'm not going to chase that. And this is the philosophy that I see with the Brewers. They're going up there going, if I can't do damage on that, 
in the moment. I'm going to wait. If it's two strikes, maybe I'll do something with it. But for the most part, I'm going to wait you out. And guys are seeing more pitches. Jace Peterson sees a ton of pitches. We saw that last year. Christian Yelich always sees a lot of pitches. And now you got uh, Luis Arias who walks up there and either ambushes first pitch and hits a missile somewhere, or he just waits you out and takes a six pitch at bat. So that right there is frustrating for pitchers, knowing that one through nine, these guys are going to make you work or they're going to jump you right away. And so you have to be scared, but at the same time, you got to be aggressive. That's a tough place to be. Speaking of demonstrating great patience at the plate and working pitch counts, Luis Arias comes back and immediately makes a, an impact in that regard. It just to the offense in general. So could this be a breakout year for Weicho, uh, Adam? Well, I mean, I think he last year was a pretty good breakout year as well. Right. I think the, what I think about with him is like, look at uh, stats on minor league rehab appearances at your own peril because they often mean very little because a guy goes down there with a, a certain, you know, a motivation, a goal, and it's sometimes it's to see as many pitches as you want. Sometimes it's to you know, swing really hard at everything and test whatever was hurting. And the results are such a mirage. And that's been the case with Urias because he went down to double A and was facing double A pitching and went four for 27 and now comes up to the big leagues. And so far is seven for 21. And it's, it's seven for 21 with, as you guys have said, as Tim said, a ton of patience, really good at bats, solid D for the most part. I mean, playing pretty well and having an impact at a position where the Brewers were not getting in much production. And it moves Jace Peterson in particular into a role where he can be really valuable in playing all over, played first base last night. And that's where you want him. So it, he, he was like Urias coming in obviously was a boost because of what he's done in terms of getting on base. Um, it also, I think is one of those domino things where he puts every others in a better position to succeed. So that's been a good get for the Brewers and, he just keep doing what he's doing. He's going to have another really good year. Tim, how do you feel about Weicho producing so far? Yeah. I mean, when I pulled up the whatever website to figure out all this other technical stuff that I was talking about with Adamus, I just started, well, I'll type in Urias. Let's see what he's doing even more so than he did last year. And he saw four pitches per plate appearance last year. This year, it's 4.27. I, again, it doesn't sound like a lot, but that is a that's a that's a that's a getting up there. Uh, basically, what that means is he's walking up there. He's going to swing first pitch and bat three thirty three, which is what he did last year, or he's just going to sit there and wait you out. And again, just like the rest of this club, not everyone was doing this last year. He was one of the few that would go up there aggressive and then just absolutely stop. That's the old school approach. When I was pitching. Uh, in the minor leagues, especially, you would get an older veteran guy and you knew exactly what most of these guys were going to do. They were hunting a fastball early and if not, they were going to wait you out. So it's like, okay, here's a pitch that I'm not going to strike you out on, but you're probably going to hit into the ground. So I would try to get him out as early as possible because each pitch makes him better. And that's what's happening with some of these guys, especially Urias. He's like, if you don't give me what I want, then I will go and just stand on first base <laughs> until someone drives me in. And that drives pitchers crazy. And here's another number for Urias, 24. He's 24. Like he's been in the big leagues for quite, he's got big league time now with Padres and Brewers. He's been around a little bit, but he doesn't turn 25 years old until June 3rd. And I've said this before, I think on the pod, Craig Council talks about the guys often that get to the big leagues really young. That is such a good sign of their talent because you don't get to that point by luck. You get to that point because you're, you're really good and you've demonstrated that a lot of people in organizations think you can succeed at the big league level. So 
guys like that. Council always always alerts us to those types of players, and and Weicho is one of those guys. So June 30 turns 25. That's still a pretty young player. So he has a lot of development ahead, a lot of time ahead. And if he can continue to be this selective guy who also does damage, um, again, that's a that's a good player. And don't judge a trade. <laughs> but like we do the stuff like we still do stuff like this. Like people are saying, um, you know, Aaron Ashby should go in the bull. Ashby's a pen guy. Like after watching his start against the Braves, I, I just get comments like that. And it's like, I, on one hand, I'm jealous of people that can be so sure about an analysis of something based on so little information. And I, and I understand like it's frustrating when you, when you, a team you like struggles and loses. I, I, I get that. And some of it's frustration, but like, man, sometimes I wish I could be so sure about stuff, but like just t- a little time sometimes is, is what it takes to understand what a guy's all about. Yeah. Everybody stopped tweeting at Adam saying, what do we do with this? <laughs> just say that. Just say that. Oh, Adam. Man. Hey, leave me alone. Uh, I didn't make Adam it. should stop looking. Yeah, at I I'm, in, I'm at a point where I should just take a little Social media. Shouldn't break. we all stop looking at social media? No. Uh, follow us on hey, Twitter. You, el- you know who else needs a break? Us. But when we come back, we're talking about some recent roster moves, Brandon Woodruff's latest outing, and we're going to test the guys on their Star Wars knowledge. Yes. Oh, God. Stay with us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back, and so is trivia after a one-week hiatus. Since last week's episode was just before May 4th, we'll make up for not doing trivia with some Star Wars trivia this week. I, I think we had good reason. We had a kind of big guest on. Which What was that? Go back and listen to the pod. He was fantastic for oh, yeah, David yeah. Stearns, president of baseball ops for the Milwaukee Brewers. In trivia, though, Resetting the everything, Adam currently leads the season series at three to one. Ooh, it's family feud style. Last time I did not abide by that. I, oh, this is going to go so badly for me. <laughs> get it right, you get a point. Get it wrong, and your opponent can try to steal. Guys, are you ready? Yes, but I would like to say if we're going to do Star Wars this week, since Tim is like the all-time <laughs> Star Wars expert, can we do Clue some in some future week? Like, no. Is there is there like you know National Mystery Day or something Ooh. where we can tie it to that? I'm sure there's a day for Clue. Yeah, there's there's a National Candlestick Day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim, you're going to go first up since you're the Star Wars expert. Oh, my God. Which of these actors did not appear in a Star Wars movie? Keira Knightley, Liam Neeson, Mark Ruffalo, or Benicio Del Toro? Mark Ruffalo. Final answer. Correct. Oh, my God. That was Look so that. fast. Kenosha's survey oh. says that was completely correct. That was actually pretty easy, if what? you ask me. Yeah, then tell me the movie that Kira Knightley was in. Mm, wasn't she the princess? Uh, she was, no. kind of. She was the, the decoy, decoy princess, but for the princess. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. That was before uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, that's, that's totally what I meant. Yeah. yeah. 
That was in Phantom Menace. Okay. And then Liam Neeson, of course, was Qui-Gon in The Phantom Menace and a few others. And then Benicio Del Toro was the codebreaker from The Last Jedi. Okay. Yeah, Adam. Okay. <laughs> All right, Adam. We're actually diving into the galaxy for this one. We're not looking at actors or actresses. <laughs> How many language is C-3PO fluent in? One million? Six million? Nine million? Or four million? <laughs> and just to make... <laughs> Putting the numbers out of order was a nice touch to make me sound even dumber. I mean, what would be the... There's no limit to his That's computing. C-3PO. Look on the screen. I see this Tim is my, as a C-3PO. Uh, uh, there's yeah. limit to everyone's computing, Adam. So one, four, six, or nine million. I will say Gene Segura, nine million. You would be oh, incorrect. God. Tim, for the steal. He is... Fluid in over 6 million forms of communication. You are correct. So uh, we gave Tim a little bit of help there. He is now tied on the season series three to three. Wow. What what a big surprise that is. I I should have guessed. (laughs) If this was a writing game, like a quiz game, like grammar, (laughs) that's the equivalent we're going at. That's how bad I would do and how amazing you would do. Okay. <laughs> but now it's time for more Brewers Talk. Oh, that was it? Yes. No, no more Star Wars. I apologize, Tim. So last night we saw Brandon Woodruff have a pretty good start. And up until the fifth inning, when things really hit quite a large bump, uh, he looked pretty good. That leaves him with a season ERA of 597. And that's through six starts. Tim, what's your concern for the Brewers' workhorse? Um, he just hadn't hit his stride yet. He's trying different things. We're seeing the changeup against righties a lot, which is effective. Um, but I think he's he, – it's almost like he has too many too many weapons, too many tools in the kitchen or sharpest drawer in the shed. I'm not sure what that means, but like something like wow. that. Like he has too much stuff that's good. Um, and I went back and watched the game. I was actually at my kid's scrimmage. I was playing – outfield for the better part of two and a half hours so I didn't get to watch it in real time but I went back and watched it and I so it's to me it's just a couple of um sequence issues and I think he was you know struggling with Omar a few times which is strange I don't know what so there's been something new that has been implemented that maybe we don't know but I didn't like the slider first pitch a couple of times it just didn't do much for a righty um and I don't know it got predictable with a couple of lefties. I just, I think what he needs to work on, if there was one thing to say, Hey, what are we doing this time for bullpen? It would be, let's just pitch out of the stretch the entire time. I feel like he does great out of the windup. As soon as a guy gets on base, that's when you start seeing longer counts. You start seeing a walk, you start seeing a single, and then there's a big hit. And he even admitted that uh, in his post game to Adam was talking about, you know, we're only talking really his ERA is the result of maybe three to four innings his entire season. So yeah, there's no big concern there other than just let him be and let him figure it out. Yeah, the big inning, the one inning, and we're in small sample size you know, territory here still. And when you have one bad inning a day or every other start, it's going to make a huge impact on your ERA, and that's what he's looking at. I think two things they talked about last night, the, the two-seamer was flat instead of having that, that bite, that vertical bite, and... The Reds did a good job of not chasing those off-speed pitches. And Tim mentioned the changeup. That's been a big swing and miss pitch for Woodruff this year. And maybe he's trying to figure out, maybe they're all trying to figure out like how to best use that as a weapon since it seems to be a better weapon than it's been in the past for him. And 
there were lots of instances uh, last night where those changeups were like below the zone where you want them, and the Reds just didn't chase, and then got something Drury homered on a a, a pitch above the zone. So, um, Ooh, can I address? There that? is a level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think Omar set up way early on that pitch with guys on base. Rock even said it in the broadcast earlier. Um, you know, you, when you do it, when you flash your glove at the top and you start raising up as a catcher, everyone in the world knows a fastball is coming. Nobody throws change up up. You know, that's a joke around baseball where you wiggle the <laughs> fingers and point up. No one does that, you know, or, hey, let's call a hanging slider at the top of the zone. No, he he flashed the glove and it was kind of early. And I'm watching this, you know, knowing about what's going to happen. That that easily could be relayed. So I think Woodruff's just had a little bit of bad luck on that. But yes, I think I think in a way that was a great pitch, but I think the guy knew it was coming a little bit. Well, just, you know, sorry. Speaking of the catchers, too, it was cool last night after the game. We wanted to get a little insight from Omar Narvaez and him and Victor Caratini were hunched over the locker with one of those iPads that they have. And they were rewatching some of the, the moments from Woodruff's outing and working together to try to, you know, figure out what happened here, what they might have done differently. It was it was cool to see that collaboration, which happens, I think, a lot behind the scenes right out in the clubhouse. And then even cooler was as other guys are coming out of the shower or whatever, they'd be like, what's going on here? And they, you know, Christian Yelich ducks, leans in and takes a look and other players were seeing what's going on. So, you know, the collaboration, they're going to work, in other words, to figure this out. And Brandon Woodruff is as prideful a guy who, Tim, you know this better than, than me, than anybody. Super prideful guy, super hard worker. Um, some guys, you know, talk about really wanting to win and like, yeah, everybody wants to win. But when Brandon Woodruff says, I really want to win, like, I mean, you you like see it. You see it in his eyes. He, he is not happy at all with what's going on. And I asked him at the end last night, like, in the past, have you been good at channeling this? <laughs> the word in my head was inner rage, but I didn't say inner rage. I think I said this edge because he's got some edge right now. And I said, are you, have you been good about channeling this edge? And he basically responded that, you know, he could say a bunch of stuff and get really mad, but what good does that do? He wants to just channel it towards his work. So try to figure out what's going on. And I wrote this earlier. They, those Burns and Woodruff are at their best when they're going follow the leader and Freddie Peralta too. And look, Hauser and Lauer as well. And this it's, it's that old adage about how the pitching gets contagious start to start. And they did it for a couple of turns, um, but for Woodruff and Peralta both, they've not, they definitely have not hit that stride. And short spring, small sample, whatever it is, it just hasn't happened yet. And Adam, you actually got some great audio from Brandon Woodruff in the clubhouse. So why don't we go listen to that real quick and then come back? I mean, I try not to beat myself up. I realize how hard this game is, and um, there's going to be. Look, I'm, I'm a grown-up. I understand, like, there's it's it's hard. This game's hard. So when it beats you down, am I going to let it beat me down? No. But um, I'll sit on it for a couple innings after I came out and move on to the next one. I mean, it's all you can do. So um, not happy. Not supposed to be happy. I need to get better at some stuff. And um, there will come a time when I'll hit a stretch and I'll look back at this and – learn from it so take the positives from it use that go forward that's it wow i mean he's pretty honest about things so far uh he does not hold back he's uh one of the easiest guys to talk to on the whole team he's one of the guys who tells you what he's feeling good and bad and uh 
You know, even when you ask him a question he doesn't want to answer, he'll just say, I don't want to answer that. <laughs> we were asking him a lot in spring training, thinking back about, you know, where they just how they're pitching lined up. Do you think this could be the best, you know, pitching staff in baseball this year? And he would be like, instead of being like making up an answer or talking around it, he'd just be like, you're trying to trap me. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to answer that question. There's no good way to answer that question. And he'd smile and, you know, so look, you love the honesty. You love a guy who uh, is so fiery. As Tim said, nobody wants to win more than he does. Uh, he wears it on his sleeve. And that's a good thing, too. Yeah, that's a good thing. And, and I've said this before, but this is this is the guy you want to give the ball to. It's the guy you don't want to take the ball from. He, he wants to be out there. Give him 150 pitches. He'll throw the entire game. He doesn't care. That's what you want from a guy like that. Uh, and that's what he expects of himself. That's why anything less than that, he's, you know, like in the in the audio right there, you could just tell that he was he's he's frustrated just by a couple of innings, really, in his whole, you know, season so far. So we asked, we started this conversation off with what's your concern level. I think this is very similar to the hitters that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And now the hitters are doing their regular thing is that Brandon Woodruff has a very consistent track record. And right now he's performing very off of that track record because he has a lengthy track history in MLB and has this, we know who he is. I really expect that things will eventually settle back down to normal. And maybe because this first month we don't see a sub-3 ERA like we did last year, but I do not expect to not see good Brandon Woodruff back this season. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's no his strength is his steadiness, that he's out there every fifth day, sixth day, whatever, however they do it, and there's no reason to think that that won't even out. Other guys can be more volatile. Other players can be more volatile up and down. That's not the story of his career so far, so... His frustration level is high. As we said, they're working to figure it out. They're going to come up with some better sequencing. They're going to come up with things to do between starts to get him to that feeling where he's locked in start to start because that's what he hasn't had. It's not, he just hasn't had that run of like three starts in a row where he feels good and um, he'll, he'll figure it out. Yeah. That's the reason we're talking about this is because this is unorthodox for this guy, you know, to have this many hiccups, you know, these innings, it's just, it's not his game. That's why, you know, you, you talk to him after the game. That's why we're talking about it now. It's just out of the ordinary. But at the same time, pitchers go through this. You know, it has a lot to do with how hitters prepare and how you prepare. And sometimes a game plan works. And then there's sometimes where it falters. So for him, he just needs to go out there and pitch. Just, I mean, if I was him, I wouldn't do hardly anything. I would just throw my bullpen, not think too much on it, walk out there and stuff everybody because his stuff is amazing. Well, the... While people may have some concerns about Brandon Woodruff, which we don't, Keston Hero was sent down to make room for Luis Perdomo last year. Are there concern levels for Keston after being sent down to AAA for another season? What does this move mean for Keston, Tim? Oh, I get to go first? Well, I, I don't know. I, I Keston did everything imaginable in spring training this year, uh, batting $9 trillion or whatever it is, and playing good defense, worked on everything. I mean, he, he was ready. For the season, but he lost it to Rowdy Telez. Telez was, he's going to be the everyday first baseman. And then you start adding the other pieces. There's just not enough room for him, you know, and that's not anyone's fault other than the Brewers have really good players that need to play that position over and over again. So, I mean, that you're kind of just odd man out and that's a tough place to be. I feel like my whole life I've been the odd man out 
<laughs> so I can, it resonates with me, but he's going to go to AAA and just dominate everybody. He did that to me uh, in 2019. He knows how to hit. He just needs to play every day. And if he's not going to play every day in the big leagues, then send him down because he's an everyday player. Yeah, and that's what they'll do. They actually have John Singleton down there hitting a bunch of homers and Tyler White, another offseason ad who'd been hitting a bunch of homers. Uh, but Keston Hira is Keston Hira, and he's going to play regularly down in Nashville. The DH, they can they can get ABs for guys. Um, look, we can't not be concerned about anybody, so I, I will say I am officially concerned about Keston Hira, even as the the man-can-hit guy. Um He's not, he's just not done it in the big leagues for quite a long time now. And this year, it, it's really hard to figure out anything he did this year because it was sporadic opportunities. It was playing when Rowdy wasn't. Um, it was pinch hits. It was, you know, it wasn't like he was out there every day for a month and then got sent down. So it's, it is hard to analyze sort of what we saw this year. Craig Council said the thing he liked was that he, he saw a confident hitter uh, and he thought that was really good that he knows, Keston Hira knows in Craig Council's eyes that he can contribute at the big league level, that he's going to be a part of this team down the line this season because things are going to happen, that he's going to be back in the big leagues uh, inevitably. So Council was happy was with where he was at confidence-wise. But look, I, I think you have to be somewhat concerned that that he's. it feels like he's lost his foothold on a spot in the big leagues. And if Rowdy is going to be the guy at first base, where does Keston Hira fit? Uh, I think that's a that's a tough question to answer right now. Well, I think if you start looking, if you want to predict stuff, you know, maybe he doesn't get back to the big leagues with the Brewers. Maybe he's picked yeah. up by somebody else. And here's the problem with that. Because as soon as he goes to another team and he's in the big leagues and that team plays the Brewers, he's going to crush it. You know, he's going to get to the big leagues and bat 400 with some other team. And we're all going to be like, well, why didn't he do this with the Brewers? You know, it's... And then that's the cycle. That's that's what I'm predicting. If he doesn't come back to the Brewers, he's going to get traded away. He'll be with another team very soon, and he'll be back to his old self that we, you know, that he broke into the big leagues like that. That's just that's the cycle that you can kind of see with maybe what's played out with Keston so far. And I think it's fair to say that Keston's performance before he got sent down wasn't necessarily to the point that it was last season. He didn't look nearly as lost. It really felt like two things happened here. The Brewers needed another pitcher because Ashby was joining the rotation. They were going on a longer stretch without an off day. And Rowdy Telez took the first base job as the primary player at that position. So you didn't really need the platoon option like you had in the past. And if you do, you have other options. So that's more of what this felt like than a situation where it's like go down to triple a and get right it's more of like go down to triple a and get consistency yeah don't I, I don't think people should get this wrong this this wasn't necessarily a this wasn't a demotion this was a this was a rosters going down to 26 after having 28 for the the opening month so i don't think this was like performance-based demotion i think this was a, a matter of circumstance and as you said brad wanting that not just the extra pitcher, but the extra right-hander with, with what was on the schedule. They, they really wanted that, and that's why they called up Perdomo. So, yeah, I, I don't – I think that's really important to note. I'll say this. I, I actually predicted, I think, on the one of the first episodes that Perdomo was going to make the team out of spring training. I thought he was like a no – like I, I his performance, his stuff, you were like, oh, this guy's definitely going to make the opening day roster, and then he didn't for whatever reason. 
So it's almost a correction in some ways. I felt that he deserved it and what he did in spring training and what he, what they've seen of him. So I don't know. Maybe that's more of a correction thing as well, too. Here, here's the thing about Perdomo, Tim. They actually talked that through with him at the start of spring training, it sounds like, uh. and kind of came up, developed a plan. Because remember, he missed all last year coming back from Tommy John. And I think they wanted to see him just pitch a little bit at the start of the year, pitch a couple of weeks at AAA, get a little foundation before he came up to the big leagues. So Perdomo sounded like very on board with that. And um, he said he was not surprised at all that he didn't make the opening day roster, that it sounds like it was something that they all discussed. And it's a good example of kind of being on the same, an organization and a player being on the same page. And hopefully you get some good results out of that. And it's a good example of, I have no idea about any of these conversations <laughs> and I'm just throwing out there what I see, but I wish I would have known well, he that. certainly pitched well enough to make the team. And he was on my projected opening day roster. And it really devastated me when I didn't get that right for the, as many years in a row as we've done that, I've never guessed it correctly. Oh, really? Oh, and the streak, con- well, no, it's, it's, yeah, they always do something you don't expect. Yeah. So the streak continues. And this is classic brewers during the council Stearns era right is there's been relievers who perform well they don't make the opening day roster but they're called up shortly after either because they want them to get a few more controlled innings down at triple a or they want them to just they don't feel that they need them out of the gates then they come they call them up and they end up being an important factor for the rest of the season so i would say this is just in line with how things have gone over the last five to six years. Yeah. It's the whole concept of um, getting everybody on board with the idea that if you're not here now, you're going to be here later and just do your work, put up numbers, get outs, and you'll eventually be in the big leagues. That that's just, they've, they've got guys to buy into that. And history has shown when they, at the end of the year have 63 players or whatever it is suit up for them over the course of a year, that if players are patient and do their, do what they do, they'll, they'll make it up to the big leagues. Well, we need to take another break, but when we return, we'll discuss Tim Dillard's third favorite day of the year, National Eat What You Want Day, (laughs) plus pick the next Brewers player to break out. Stay tuned. We are back, and it's time for the rapid round. I have to say it very serious because it's a very serious rapid round. And we're going to start with Adam. Adam, which non-Brewers team has stood out to you so far this season? I'm a fan of chaos. So I will say the Boston Red Sox, who are 10-19 and 19 and in last place in the American League East, two games worse than the Baltimore Orioles, which, uh, frankly, I did not see coming. So I don't... Trevor Story is a really, really good player. He's getting booed in Boston. Um... I love chaos. I've been watching uh, the WeWork show, the um, Elizabeth Holmes, the the Theranos show. I, I love uh, I love chaos. And Tim, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I love chaos as much as the next person, but um, I'm going to go with the Mets only because they're the first team to 20 wins this season. And I mean, I know they have a bunch of big names, right? I, I get that. But how many times do those big names pay off? And they do the, how, how often do they pay off that early. But if you had to guess on which team is going to be the first 20 wins across baseball, I don't think that would be in anybody's top three or top five, maybe. So anyway, there's something's going on in New York. With and, DeGrom out. With, with, yeah, with DeGrom with out. Yeah, that's, DeGrom, yeah. yeah. So 
I don't know. I, I the, the Mets, they're they're playing really well. And, you know, there, there's some chaos going on always, I feel like, with the Mets. So, yeah, that's a that was a big surprise to me. I'm personally going to go with the Angels because I think I like things that are good for baseball. And when two of the best players in baseball are playing together on the same team and playing well, that's good for everybody, not just the the team that's taking advantage of the winning record and things like that. We saw Shohei Otani's walk off the other day, which is extremely fun and exciting. So to me, I just think that's a good team for all of us to be winning because it's going to draw more eyes to the sport. And as more eyes get on the sport, there will be more global interest. So I'm, I'm excited that the Angels are doing well, that they finally figured out how to pitch after many, 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 many attempts. So that's my team that, uh, you know, has stood out to me. I like how you guys picked nice stories and I picked the team that's 10 and 19 <laughs> and getting, and yeah, I was going to say, having the big free agent guy Red booed. <laughs> well, tomorrow is national eat what you want day. Mm. Tim, how are you going to indulge? <laughs> that's every day for me. You kidding? I'll eat whatever. Uh, I don't know. Probably go back to Taco Bell. I walk in. They're like, hey, Tim, usual. Yeah. Thanks, Mr. Bell. Uh, Mr. Bell needs to start writing some checks. I know, right? I got to stop plugging <laughs> because, them for free, but I'll keep doing it. Who am I kidding? I say we start bleeping it out and people need to guess which <laughs> restaurant yeah, you're talking yeah, yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> Until go we get the bride. Juicy, like, all right. Can't do that. <laughs> Adam, what about you? How are you going to go wild on National Eat What You Want Day? Uh, well, the Brewers are in Cincinnati. I don't fly out until Thursday morning, and they play at 1235 Cincinnati time. So you know where you can find me tomorrow night is at the roof at Rheingeist, uh, which is one of the best spots anywhere, Rheingeist Brewery. And uh, they have, I think, pizzas there. I think you get, like, I've seen people, like, get, I don't know if it's from there or from a neighboring spot. I'm going to go over there, find a spot on the roof. It's beautiful here. Figure it out. So you will find me with uh, some Truth IPA and maybe I'll have two pizzas just because it's that day. Maybe I'll eat two pizzas. Make it two IPAs. No, there's a place right around the corner (laughs) from you from the hotel in Cincy. Uh, It's like a hole in the wall diner uh, in an office building. Like it's very small and they put an egg on a burger. It's it's delicious. It is like what, you know what you'll find in the deep South where they, you know, got those, you know, burgers and they're doing it with the little, I mean, it's just, it's really cool. All the aprons are dirty. That's what you want to see, right? Like, yeah. So if you need a good burger, that's right around the corner. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I'm going to eat a donut. <laughs> I've eaten two since I mean, we started I'm going this. to try to get a good donut, but it, I just want a donut. That sounds very doable, <laughs> but you, of, of all these things, yours is the most doable. I'd yeah. Uh, my bar is not set very high. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to shoot for the moon in terms of quality of donut, but it's a sliding scale. I'm I'm it's hard to make a bad donut too. like impossible. The only bad donut is the one that's been around too long. Right. <laughs> that's right. it. The only <laughs> bad donut is the one that's or the one that ago. Trevor Hoffman has taken. a bite. <laughs> right. Hoffman used to go in there. Did Hoffman bring in the donuts? Yes. Tim Hoffman used to bring in yeah. donuts and then take a bite out of all I was of in them spring and then leave the donuts. I'm in spring training and I'm walking. It's like dark right in Arizona when you're you know getting to the field. And I hear this rolling and I'm looking around in the night and I'm like, where is this rolling coming from? It's Trevor Hoffman on a skateboard coming from the parking lot to the clubhouse with a, two boxes of dozens of donuts. And by the time I get in there, every single one of those donuts has a bite taken out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Can't do that nowadays. Yeah, uh, no. the good old days. The good old days where you could take a bite out of food and then leave it for <laughs> and others. others would eat it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the key. Uh, all right, Willie and Rowdy both had career days. Adam, who's going to be the next player to have a ridiculous breakout game? They had their seven RBI and eight RBI days. What's your pick for the next breakout game? I am going to be so boring here and give you the most obvious answer possible and say Christian Yelich because... Corbin Burns, no hitter. Oh, <laughs> offensive breakout, Corbin Burns? <laughs> hey, it uh, says ridiculous no. breakout game. It doesn't say offensive. Oh, it doesn't oh, have oh, to I be hitting. hitting. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought maybe you meant Corbin Burns was going to pinch hit and hit like a six-run oh, homer. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, look, Yelich is poised. He, he's, he's striking the ball really well. Um, great stat last night. I saw that he's got as many hard hit, hard hit balls in play over 110 miles an hour as he did all of last year already. As I said, Rowdy was talking about just what a big deal his play his the quality of his ABs have been for the rest of the lineup. There's just lots of things pointing in the right direction. You know, Craig Council said this, I think in the first series, maybe against the Cardinals that like everybody wants the Christian Yelich breakout. So he was trying to say like, pump the brakes, just let him play and see what happens and stop putting so much on every result. But uh, the results look really good. So I will say there's a big, I will say there's a Christian Yelich multi-homer game in the next two weeks. You heard it here first folks. (laughs) <laughs> Tim, <laughs> yeah, what's I'm, your breakout game? I have to, I have to say, Yelich. Uh, you just everything is there. It, it, Adam's one hundred percent correct. And what's interesting, you start looking at all the games that he's played in this year. Uh, yeah. All the time that he missed in April of last year, he is super exciting. He is, uh, he's doing everything right. He's hitting the ball all over the field. He's hitting the ball hard. He's working counts. He had a sliding catch uh, the game last night against the Reds that honestly probably saved a run or two. So that, I mean, he's the more exciting uh, player that I've seen since, you know, probably like three years ago, right? Like he's doing everything correct. And when you're doing everything correct like that, baseball pays you back in, in a lot of ways. Like it just, the, the, the stars align or whatever. Uh, but he's already had some great games. I just think that I think he's going to continue to get better. It's just like compound interest. It's like when pitchers are throwing more innings and more pitches, they're getting better because they're doing the same thing over and over again. You're just going to get better at it. And I think that's what Yelich is doing. He's getting more games on the field and it's making him uh, even better. Brad, save us and pick somebody that's not so obvious. Oh, I had somebody different. It's oh, so I thought about going Corbin Burns back to back years with a no hitter, but instead I'm going to go Eric Lauer. And I'm predicting an 18 strikeout game. Tie that franchise record, baby. 18? I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. He's going to have to go out there and be like, oh, man, 18. Better start now. First batter. <laughs> look, look, Benny Sheets was the last one who did it. And I think that this team pitching rotation is plenty capable of setting new bars or at least tying new bars. I mean, 18 is a lot of strikeouts, even for an entire pitching staff that game it took all the batters and every single out for Ben Sheets to do it when he did it but you know Eric Lauer's racking up the double digit strikeout games it, he got to 13 and it seemed easy for him which no pressure Eric <laughs> I'm I think it's possible and I wanted to go very bold with this one because yeah uh, I, I thought that'd be a little yeah. fun so Lauer got a haircut Last week, and there's like two, he got like two little lines cut behind his ear. And Brandon Woodruff made sure everybody saw it because he really 
was tickled by that. So he said it was he said it was when Laura had the double digit strikeout games back to back. And he said if he gets more, he's gonna keep <laughs> shaving lines up his head. So Laura struck out eight in his next start. I said, if you would have got two more, would you have shaved another line? And he said he would have seriously considered it. So if he gets 18, maybe we'll see him with some, you know, and maybe I should go with any pitcher, but I, you know, I feel like the whole impetus of this is to pick a particular player because I feel like, man, I like it. Yep. So Tim last rapid round question. If you could invite any guests on this podcast, who would it be? Um, I don't know. I'm guessing Harrison Ford. I think that would be Harrison pretty Ford. good. He's just, I don't know. He's awesome. Him or Keanu Reeves. I feel like Keanu Reeves would maybe be more interactive, you know, asking questions and stuff. I think Harrison Ford, um, you know, he's Harrison Ford. He can do whatever he want. So if I could have anybody on here, it would be him, but he'd probably deny it. <laughs> so he'd probably be like, no, I'm not going to go on there. But Keanu Reeves would. He seems awesome. But one of those two guys, I feel like I could um, have some good questions for him and get to know him a little bit. We'd probably be, you know, really good friends. Ezra, reach out to Keanu. <laughs> I don't feel like it'll be too hard. What about you, Adam? Any guest? Uh, John Ham, because big Cardinals fan. We could time it to some, you know, maybe home and home against the Cardinals when that, whenever that week is coming up. And we got to hang out with John Ham once at an All Star game, um, with some beverages in hand, a couple MLB.comers and I. It was so much fun. All he wanted to do was talk about baseball. All we wanted to do was talk about bridesmaids at the time and <laughs> SNL and Mad Men. And we kept like going back and forth. We'd ask three questions about Mad Men. Then he would ask questions about baseball. And it was super cool. Really cool guy. So John Hamm. Um, Cardinals fans can, you know, the Brewers fans and Cardinals fans don't have to hate each other. I, I would think we should. How dare you? We should figure this out. Adam Wainwright was on. The Brewers radio broadcast, which I totally missed a couple weeks that ago, was, really was brought cool. to my attention this week. Very cool. It was super cool. And he goes on with Uke. And Uke got him to read a Miller Lite ad, which I absolutely love. And so you don't have to, like, hate the other side. I I struggle with this. So I'm going to have the cop-out answer. And, you know, one that I guess is somewhat realistic because he owns the Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, that'd be great. And Giannis Antetokounmpo. Oh, oh, I was thinking okay. Mark. I thought you were going to say Mark. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, as much as I, w- I think Mark would be a great interview, but I am just, every time Giannis is on TV, audio or anything, he's just has another line that just makes you go, wow, this guy's awesome. And I want to be one of the people who gets one of those lines of information. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's a great answer. That's going to hit well with fans. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think we could pull that off, right? I think so, too. I think, Brad, Ezra Siegel, I'm sure, is nodding his head right now. He's the the uh, executive producer of this podcast. Yep. He, he's calling Giannis's agent right now as we speak. He is on it. Uh, and I mean, it could be a good promotion for an upcoming bobblehead day. I'm not okay. sure if you saw that it was announced September 11th, Goodness. Giannis bobblehead day. Oh, yeah. Um, which was a TBD bobblehead day, and I thought guaranteed was going to be for the no-hitter. Oh, yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> I was very, very wrong. But Giannis is still an awesome bobble. So looking forward to that. But unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow our hosts. You can get all the amazing Tim Dillard content at Dim Tillard on Twitter and Instagram. And look for Adam McAlvey at Adam McAlvey on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. 
Of course, make sure you're following the Brewers on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>